Welcome to the Classic Anglican Podcast. Join us as we explore classic Anglicanism through thoughtful and informative conversation within the bounds of the Christian faith once received. I'm your host, Canon Zachary. Today, our guest is the Reverend Calvin Robinson. Father Calvin works in the public sphere as a broadcaster, TV, and radio presenter on topics of education, theology, and British values. You can regularly see him on the GB News in the UK. Recently, Father Calvin departed the Church of England, yet he is remaining under Episcopal authority in the Greater Anglican Communion. Father Calvin, welcome to the Classic Anglican Podcast. Thank you very much. It's an absolute privilege to be here. Well, it's certainly wonderful to have you. And uh, we started working on this interview a while ago, and a lot has transpired since then uh, when we first <laughs> vetted this script. And uh, you departed the Church of England last year, and our idea was that we would talk about the importance of finding biblical Episcopal oversight. And before we could get together for the interview, there's been an eruption in the Church of England over the approval of the so-called living in love and faith instructions, an action that is tearing at the fabric of the Anglican communion. So before we get to our planned interview, can you briefly tell our listeners what's going on in the Church of England and how is the broader Anglican communion reacting to the mother church? Oh, it's awful. It's absolutely abysmal. Uh, the Church of England have said they are going to allow the blessing of same-sex relationships. Well, actually, no, they started out by saying they're going to allow the, the blessing of same-sex individuals within same-sex relationships. But then the Bishop of London went on record as saying that the relationships could be blessed, and some of them would be sexual in nature, which is outright heretical. She, you know, the, the bishops within the Church of England have essentially said they're going to ask God to bless sin, something that he has mocked as abhorrent. Uh, it, it just is the least Christian thing they could do. But it, they have passed the vote in Synod, and it went through without any amendments to kind of water it down. So this is the state of affairs. The Church of England has said they are not officially changing doctrine, but the wider Anglican communion has said, quite rightly, that you are what you preach. Therefore, if you are going to allow... The, these liturgies to take place, you have, in essence, changed doctrine in the minds of the faithful masses. Uh, and therefore, we've seen GAFCON release statements and individual members within GAFCON. I think what, what we've had Kenya, Rwanda, Uganda, uh, primates re- released statements so far, and the Global South as a collective have released statements. And all of these statements pretty much say something along the lines of the Church of England is now in impaired communion with the wider Anglican communion. That's a really good rundown and and bears in mind, uh, you know, a couple of things there. One is the the admonition of Lex Arande, Lex Credendi, the, the law of prayer is the law of belief. And if you are going to institute yeah. prayers, uh, even if you say you're quote unquote, not going to change the official prayers of the church, but then you have these sort of unofficial prayers of the church, the practice of the church, if you will, uh, then that's going to be what we believe. The law of prayer is the law of belief. And uh, as you as you said, it's it's outright not Christian. Uh, it also is a violation of Article Twenty of the Articles of Religion, and uh, and has uh, created an impairment as mm-hmm. those those churches within the uh, Commonwealth, as well as the Episcopal Church in the United States, that have gone this way before, and we yeah. we see how that has turned out. So. Father Calvin, we certainly have a great deal to pray about, and I believe our original topic is even uh, more pertinent, more salient than than now more than ever. And given that many others may find 
have to find godly alternative uh, Episcopal oversight to their current province. Now, you departed the Church of England before the latest controversy. And to be totally fair to you, I, I would not typify what you did as leaving. Uh, you, you were stepping off of a, of a ship that is in a shallow sea of heterodoxy uh, that's rotting from the hull up, and so uh, it's not a it's it's not uh, abandoning ship and that's a seaworthy vessel. But you were looking for a ship that is in the broad sea of orthodoxy, and we'll yeah. be sure to put some links up to show notes uh, to let our listeners know kind of your backstory. We'll get into a little bit of that, uh, but perhaps for the next two or three minutes, could you tell us how you came to faith and what drew you to the Anglican tradition? Mm, yeah, of course. Um, I, I think I was always searching throughout my life, throughout my childhood, my teenage years. I was searching. I didn't know what I was searching for, but I always felt I had a relationship with God. I always prayed and I always felt like my prayers were answered, but I didn't know Christ. And I didn't know that I didn't know Christ. Um, so I, I had a personal relationship with God the Father. And I went to many different churches. I went to churches with family members, churches with friends, and to be honest, it never really worked. It never, I never felt anything. Um, sometimes I got comfortable in these churches, thought, yeah, this is okay. I can, I can continue going here. And then something would happen. And I was like, okay, this is clearly not a good place. Um, and I've struggled with um, kind of organized religion and, and man-made in, institutions anyway. I say man-made, but you know what I mean? Um, because we're also, we also fallen and, you know, we're all sinners, and, and any institution made up of sinners is going to be a sinful institution to some degree. So I've struggled with that, whilst at the same time being on a faith journey of searching. And that is until I reached a point in my life where I was discerning a change. I was discerning a vocation. And I stepped away from uh, a quite a well-played job in, in, in a career in, uh, in technology, I moved into something more vocational. I wanted something more rewarding, something more fulfilling. I wanted to feel like I was contributing to, to wider society. So I became a teacher. And that was, I didn't realize at the time, but that was the start of my vocation and the start of my calling. And I realized a few years down the line that actually I was only doing a part of my, teaching is a part of my calling, but not the whole of it. And that's because I'd spent most of my time working in Church of England schools. And at the start of my career in teaching, I made sure that I attended church linked to the school that I was working in on Sundays as well as, you know, because I, I saw that on Mondays when we, we all the kids and all the staff went to church, it set them up for the week. It, it was such a good idea. And I thought there's something in this. So I started attending on Sundays. And that is when I found Christ. When I experienced an encounter with him at the Eucharist, I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit in a way that I'd never felt anything like it before. And I didn't understand the theology or the liturgy. I didn't understand what any of it meant, but I felt it. I felt the presence. And so from that moment on, I continued to go to high church uh, Eucharistic services. And that has been where I am closest to God. And obviously later after studying theology and, and, and all of this, I realized that there's a reason that that's the case because in the, in the Eucharist is when we are closest to Christ. Absolutely. So, and you're telling a story that is very similar to many of our chaplains since 2018, the 
uh, Anglican Church in North America, our endorsing agency, which is the jurisdiction of armed forces and chaplaincy, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, is a special jurisdiction uh, before. Now it is a full jurisdiction in the Anglican Church in North America, similar to the Reformed Episcopal Church in the Anglican Church in North America. But we added 100 chaplains since 2018 into wow. the jurisdiction. And the stories that they're telling are very similar to yours, is that once they have encountered Christ in the Eucharist and experienced faith once delivered to all the saints and the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, it it just lights a fire in them. Yeah. And, uh, and so I think many of our guys are going to relate to your story as well. Uh, during your exploration uh, of the Faith Catholic, as lived out in the Anglican tradition, you became a postulant for holy orders within the Church of England. And again, we'll provide links to the backstory, but suffice it to say, you were effectively canceled by the Church. Uh, You put it this way, worse still, quote, worse still, the Church decided there is no place for someone like me amongst its ranks and sacked me as a trainee priest, canceling my curacy, close quote. So ever so briefly, who is someone like you? And who did the Church of England want you to be? They wanted me to be a typical woke liberal progressive. They wanted me, because I've got brown skin, to say the church is institutionally racist and and everything we do is racist. And And I went up against some people within the church, you know, people that would say things like the host being white is racist or the, the vestment prayers mentioning white is racist. And just the word, the word white seems to be racist to a lot of these people. It's bonkers. But I went up against that. I said, look, this is, this is the nonsense. And, and I went up against the bishops who told me that the church is institutionally racist. I said, no, it's not really. And they released these racist reports, um, lament to action and contested heritage, both of which are looking at the church of England through the lens of critical race theory, and I said, look, this is neo-Marxism. This isn't Christianity. And it's actually counter to our faith. It is, they're, what they're selling there is a new original sin, the original sin of whiteness. But there's no forgiveness. There's no repentance. There's no moving forward. Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't work in our faith. I tried to put this across, but it wasn't going down well. And it seemed to me that they want they don't like conservatives, either political conservatives or theological conservatives. They don't like us. And it is a case of, of of like or dislike, and they want people to be like them, which is, unfortunately, the vast, pe- vast number of people in the College of Bishops within the Church of England are liberals. And that's unfortunate. We found ourselves in the same situation in the Episcopal Church of the United States, and we've been watching uh, somewhat with bated breath because we've been saying, well, it looks like the Church of England is about 10 years behind where the colonies were. You found yourself where many of us have, desperately wanting to reform a church from within, only to find out that there's nothing left to reform. And that brings us to our major topic today, biblical Episcopal authority. You could have left the Church of England and started the Calvin Robinson Tabernacle. Uh, why, Why was it important to you to continue and seek oversight? Because it's about Christ, isn't it? It's not about me. And I worry about these churches that set up all around a pastor, especially a pastor with with profile. Um, And it it might start out with very good intentions, but without Episcopal oversight, it can quite easily become, um, you know, know, we're all susceptible to to sin and it can quite easily become about vainglory. And I didn't want that. I think it is important to be held to account. And I think that's a job the bishops should be doing as well as their pastoral role. And I think a lot of them 
focus on one or the other, unfortunately, at the moment. Uh, but we're also an apostolic faith, and I'm, I believe that I am a, a Catholic within the Anglican tradition, and that means that I believe that our faith has been hand down, handed down to us from Christ through his apostles, and that means that we have to keep that infrastructure. He set that up on purpose. He didn't do anything by accident. So if he says, look, we need to have elders and presbyters and deacons, then that's what we need to do. We need to have you know, bishops and presbyters and deacons. Um, it wasn't easy because there isn't much of an infrastructure over here. You guys are fantastic in the ACNA and the REC. So I eventually joined the UK's version of the REC. It's the Free Church of England, otherwise known as the Reformed Episcopal Church, which falls under the GAFCON umbrella um, as an affiliate uh, church. But GAFCON and Free Church of England, it's all very small in the UK, unfortunately. Uh, we, I hope that now we're going to see some growth based on the Church of England entering apostasy, and hopefully more Orthodox Anglicans will be looking for a home. But I don't know if many of us know we even exist yet. Well, and that's part of what we want to do is to make sure that people understand what is going on, because finding, uh, you know, the words were before, uh, I want to find some alternative uh, Episcopal oversight, and we had flying bishops for that purpose, but that was not sustainable. Uh, That was something that they didn't allow in the Episcopal Church. And I think that may have precipitated uh, things devolving faster than they have in the UK. And now you have a situation where uh, there's a clear line drawn. I do want to pull on a a little bit of a thread. You mentioned something, a a bit of a dichotomy between um, the responsibilities of defending the faith uh, with the bishop in the pastoral role. But one of the things that we've come to talk about on this show is that that's two sides of the same coin and not, not two separately distinct things. And I think that's one of the things that we see currently um, with the the primate of the Church of England right now, where he's talking about, um, oh my goodness, uh, if we pass this, there's going to be rape and murder and pillage and killing throughout the world uh, in in Muslim countries uh, yeah. because of this. But then at the same time, saying, but I'm still going to vote for uh, the the unorthodox position and not stand firm on that. And one might say, well, he's trying to be pastoral, as if being pastoral is the opposite of holding to the rules. Um, and and so, you know, I, I, I think it's important that people understand that the Ten Commandments is pastoral, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Saying no right, right. is pastoral, right? Yeah. So God gave us these rules for us, not for him. It's for our own good. It's like any parent would wanting to look after their children. That's what these rules are. They're the the boundaries within which we should operate. And everyone needs boundaries. And that's how we actually get freedom. It's liberating to know where the boundaries are, which is why children push against boundaries. And this is why children that don't have any boundaries end up spoiled and and kind of reckless, because a good parent knows to set those. Um, But when I say patients need to be both holding people to account and be pastoral, I mean, at the moment, they send, they tend to see accountability as managerial. And uh, I don't think yeah. it's a bishop's job to be a manager or a bureaucrat. It is sure. to be a pastor to the priests. Yeah, very good. And thank you for that, because that's that's a really good clarification and, and one that I think our listeners uh, will benefit from greatly. Um, there are new Anglican bodies associated with the Global Anglican Futures Conference Tell us a little bit about the Anglican Network in Europe, the Anglican Convocation Europe, and the Anglican Mission in England, and how does the authority that they are under differ from the authority that you were forced to leave? Right. So there are two jurisdictions within GAFCON, GBE, um, Great Britain and Europe. We have 
uh, within those, we have two jurisdictions. One is um, the Reformed Episcopal Church, and the other is ANIE, Anglican Network in Europe. So within the Reformed Episcopal Church, we have the Free Church of England, which has, which I'm a member of, which has validly recognised orders uh, amongst the rest of Anglicans. So in the Church of England, for example, they recognise our orders. Uh, and within the Anglican Network in Europe, we have two, well, we have a couple of other denominations. So we have ACE, Anglican Convocation in Europe, and we have AMI, Anglican Mission in England. So the first one, I know it all sounds very, this is part of the problem, it's also bureaucratical and complicated, but the first one was AMI, <laughs> Anglican Mission in England, right. which was fine, but then people in Scotland and Wales wanted to join, and obviously it's got England in the name, and actually it was quite, well, it was an incredibly low church. So what they did is they set up ACE, which is Anglican Convocation Europe, instead of England. So that covers the whole of the UK, but also stretches out to Europe. And that is more of an Anglican body. It's more of a broad church. So where Amy is very low to the point of I would question whether they're Anglican most of the time, ACE is fantastic for Anglicans from all ends of the spectrum, whether you're evangelical or Catholic. Uh, well, I say that. Within the within the canons, it is at least. But at the moment, it's, um, it's still very low church. There isn't really a high church body within a knee yet, but I know it's something that they are very much aware of. Um, as far as within GAFCON GBE in general, the the only Catholic body is the Free Church of England, and even that is relatively low church compared to many uh, areas of the Church of England. So again, it's it's very difficult to find. It's very difficult for people to find a home that is like the one they're leaving. That's that's part of the issue we're facing at the moment. So you're a self-described high churchman and uh, mm. interested in ways of the ancient faith. In a recent interview with our friends over at North American Anglican, you said that you're planting a church in Northwest London and soon may plant a mission center for Anglicans where they can thrive and grow. Uh, we're always interested in formation efforts within the Anglican communion. Can you tell us a bit more about your efforts and in particular what they might bring uh, towards promotion of classic Anglicanism? Yes, absolutely. So my church is in northwest London, in Halsden. It's a very deprived area that is in need of a lot of love. Um, I've happened to live around this area for about 16 years now, so I'm quite familiar with it. And all around the, the area has been gentrified, but Halsden in particular hasn't, and it's got uh, broken window syndrome. And it's uh, a lot of people there have been waiting for the government to do something, but it needs people to go in and remind people that we own the area, it's our area, it's our community, we need to make it better if we want it to be better. It's about ownership and personal responsibility and all of that stuff. So that's the church itself. That's a small uh, church, essentially a plant um, that I'm working on at the moment. However, what more wider than that, I've been a part of the refounding of the Brotherhood of the Holy Trinity. Now, this is evangelicalcatholics.co.uk. And this is so people within the Church of England might know about the Society. Uh, they might know about Pusey House. So there are kind of organisations for Anglo-Catholics within the Church of England. But without the Church of England, there's nothing for Anglicans who are high church. So this is what the Brotherhood of the Holy Trinity is. And actually, it was it had notorious members. Um, it was founded in 1844 originally, the same year as the Free Church of England, as, as chance would have it. But it had members like... Uh, Keeble, uh, like Pusey, it had all of these great Anglo-Catholic theologians as members of it when they were at Oxford University. 
and, and that's where it was based. So we've refounded it there recently. And this is for people within and without the established church. So I'm, I joined, uh, well, I helped refound it, but I joined along with my brothers in the Church of England and outside of it. And it's something that we can, it's a fraternity where we can have shared um, fellowship and from, from a common place of theological understanding. And I think that's really encouraging because I have friends in the UK who uh, have recently discovered uh, the Anglican tradition and uh, the things that they love about the Anglican tradition exist in the established church, but it's not being run by Orthodox priests and deacons and, and bishops. And so they're desperately trying to find orthodoxy uh, within the patrimony that, that we hold so dear within the Anglican tradition. And there's plenty of, of decent evangelical theology in low church expression, uh, as, as you mentioned, but in that in that high church sense, and it doesn't even have to be an Anglo-Catholic high church sense. It can just be more formal and sticking to the liturgy and uh, having uh, some of the ancient forms that we see. That doesn't quite exist yet, but hopefully this is going a long way to being able to take care of that. Uh, love hearing the names uh, Keeble and Pusey uh, and, and learning more about our folks, learning more about the Tractarians. We in America yes. definitely experienced a great deal of renewal as a result of the Oxford movement and uh, and held dear to it in many places within uh, the Anglican tradition within the United States and are continuing in that way. Uh, but the ACNA is a very, very broad uh, and, and wonderful expression of Anglicanism as a province. And so I'm in hopes that it will continue to be a good example for others around the world as we uh, are, are blind beggars leading other blind beggars to the Eucharistic bread. Uh, but we don't have to be completely blind if we are sticking to the faith once delivered and praying the prayers that have been authorized for so long have, in the church. Uh, you guys have Ford in Faith North America, which is absolutely fantastic. And we've borrowed the common faith of, and purpose from that, uh, taking the declaration from Ford in Faith for the Brotherhood. Brilliant. Um, Good. Which, which essentially outlines all the, you know, the, the ideas of what the faith should be and how, how it's being delivered to us as Anglicans. Yeah, and I will make sure to put uh, Forward in Faith as well as some of the other things that we've talked about in our show notes at the end. Eric uh, Bishop Eric Menez is, is heading up Forward in Faith right now. And I, I was able to uh, be brought back into the Anglican tradition as a result of one of the churches that one of his priests planted in Las Vegas. And uh, just love being able to be around Bishop Eric any time that I can. And what a great joy it is to be able to have the work that he's doing, being able to help around the world. Father Calvin, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the program, and we'll keep you in our prayers as the Lord leads you into this next season of ministry. Thank you so much for joining us. No, it's always been great fun. Good conversation. Thank you, Father. You've been listening to the Classic Anglican Podcast. We look forward to being with you during our next episode. To learn more, join us online at www.anglicanchaplains-etf.org. Until then, stay strong in the Christian faith once received and keep Anglicanism classic.